Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. Good morning, City on a Hill Forest Hills. How's everybody doing today? I get the distinct honor of being invited to preach here as a guest once again, and even more awesome than that, get to speak specifically about Jesus. How awesome is that, right? So, going to be coming from the Apostles' Creed. Now, many of y'all might not know what the Apostles' Creed is. Are any of you familiar with the Apostles' Creed? Oh, more people than I thought. Awesome. Okay, so I'm going to get a little nerdy and give a little background as to the Apostles' Creed. So essentially, a creed is a collection of statements. It's not really something that's only belong. That word isn't a gospel word, but it is used when it comes to when we have a bunch of core truths that are put together in one statement. And it was not written directly by the apostles themselves, but the teachings of the apostles that we, there goes page one, that the, okay, there goes all my notes. Awesome. So essentially all the teachings of the apostles, core truths of the father and of the son and of the church and who we are and our identity in God are all placed within this one statement with this one creed it's a collection of statements or declarations even the earliest form of the apostles creed was first written within 140 a.d um let me move on from all the fun nerdy stuff so the creeds are important to us because it helps us to basically to summarize what our faith is. When you think about Old Testament language, they would say, take the word of God, place it on your walls, like as a poster, place it on your doorposts, place it here, like these, these stands here. It should be the same with the Apostles' Creed. Um, take it, print it out, place it over your bed, memorize it even. You know, it helps you to even like be able to tell people, this is what I believe in. These are the things as the church that are core. These are the 12 core truths that we believe in. Last week, you guys were able to look at who God the Father Almighty is and what he means to us. And like I said before, today I have the distinct privilege of, of presenting or representing to some of you who Jesus is. So there are some core truths about Jesus as the son of God that I want to get into. Before I even get into that, I just want to read this second declaration from the Apostles' Creed. And it says this, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended to the dead, On the third day, he rose again. He descended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. For those who know the word of God, there's so many scriptures you can then pull out and then talk about each of these different sentences about these truths of who Jesus is. I want to simplify it because we'll be here for like an hour plus if I was to start breaking down every single scripture for every single one of those uh, truths. Here are some basic truths that we should all know about Jesus as the son of God. 
Truth number one is that he is the only son of God. He is co-equal with God. During this time, when this was written, the Apostles' Creed, there were some heresies. In other words, some errors, some false teachings going around saying that Jesus was not co-equal with God. Whether it was Gnosticism, um, whether it was... There's a, there was a teaching called modalism, which just said there was one God came in three forms as if God was like Optimus Prime. He's not a transformer. It's three in one, Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he's also co-eternal with God. Jesus is eternal. He didn't just come here, get a body, and that was it. No, he's co-eternal. This is how amazing Jesus is. He was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and performed miracles. The importance of Jesus being born of a virgin is that he was not born of the will or action of two human beings. So he did not have a sinful nature like we have. How can someone die on a cross if they have a sinful nature? It's like, it's, it's not going to work. Can't fight fire with fire, right? So Jesus had a sinless life. He had no sinful nature. So him dying on a cross was not in vain. Paul talks about this in the Bible, that if Jesus died in vain, that we, then we believe in vain. But since he did die on a cross, was buried and rose from death three days later, our faith is not in vain. Another truth is that he atoned for our sins, was buried and resurrected three days except before. He made a way where there was no way, like a lot of the old school Christians would say, you know? And another truth is that he stated clearly that he was the son of God. There were some people who try to say Jesus did not say this in the Bible. Some people who are non-Christian historians will try to say this, but I beg to differ. I'm not going to read them, but John 5, 17 to 18 and John 8, 58, Jesus clearly says that he is the son of God. He just says it. It's like, this is who I am. You know, even the text that was read, uh, which I'll get into in a second, Jesus declares that he is the son of God while asking a question, the wisdom of God, right? And these are core truths that we must believe in, especially this last one, because for anyone to say that they were the son of God in Jesus' day, according to the Jews, was considered to be blasphemy. According to Leviticus 24, 10 to 23, I'm not going to read it because uh, it's a lot and it'll take us another direction. It says that anyone that said that they were equal with God, they should be stoned. That's when you read the Gospels very often, they wanted to stone Jesus. And this was the reason they even set him up in the Sanhedrin or the Jewish courts to be sentenced to death. But Jesus is the Son of God, co-equal, co-eternal, of the same substance as God. The term affirms Jesus' uh, deity as evidenced by his person and by his work. Three points I want to point out within Jesus as the Son of God. John, the, the Apostle John, emphasized a personal relationship with Jesus and the Father. That's one of the key core points within the Gospel of John. We, too, should have a personal relationship with the Father as Jesus is the Son and invites us in to the family of God, we have a relationship with the Father. Paul stressed the salvation that Jesus provides. Jesus is the Son of God. He provides the salvation that we need from our sins. And the author of the Hebrews focuses on Jesus' priesthood. The work of Jesus is so important in terms of us now being within the family of God. Another key truth that is within this second declaration of the Apostles' Creed is that Jesus is Lord. To say Lord in this culture 
it rubs against the whole fabric of what we believe in. Our culture has this idea of individualism that we are our own lords. We are the master of our identity, uh, uh, identity, but really we know that is contrary to the truth. Jesus as Lord means that he is sovereign. What does sovereign mean? It means that he has complete authority over all things, even our own lives. It's, I mean, it's deep how how sovereign God is. It doesn't mean that he's uh, He's cruel towards us. It doesn't mean he's a dictator because he is good in his intentions towards us as sovereign Lord. An example of his sovereignty is because he is the creator of all things, he has the right to say what to do with all things that he created, even after the fall. He didn't lose control after the fall of humanity, uh, contrary to even... That's another heresy, you know. He did not lose control of all things. A name that's given to him, Revelation 19 and 16, says that he is the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. He can make that, uh, in terms of modern-day language, he is the senator of all senators, the president of all presidents, you want to say, the prime minister of all prime ministers. You know, he is still, he's the ruler of all rulers. You know, even those who are self-proclaimed rulers, he's like, I'm bigger than you. I'm better than you. Um, as Lord, he is master of all things. Like I said before, he is good and he is merciful in his intentions for us. He is not malevolent towards us. He is righteous and he is holy. He is loving as a, a sovereign God. Uh, another key point of him being sovereign is that he has the right to judge, you know, uh, and judgment in the sense of like finality. I know our culture has a tendency says only God can judge me. And I was like, yeah, you should fear that. <laughs> don't say that. Stop calling Tupac. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but it's, I'll say this. When, when Paul talks about us judging one another as the church, as the family of God, that means accountability and loving one another and correction. So it's a different kind of, Judgment, though God holds us accountable as well, but as right to judge as sovereign God, he has the right to make a final declaration like this is what I'm going to do. Because the prophet Isaiah says, when the Lord's word goes forth, it does not come back to him empty, not fulfilling what he sent it out to do. So God isn't throwing boomerangs like, oh man, it came back to me. All right, let me try again. No, when the Lord goes for the three-pointer like Steph Curry, it's going to sink. Though I wish they went further in the playoffs. Anyways, um, <laughs> Celtics too. Come on, man, my teams. Uh, <laughs> to say that he is Lord personally, we are saying that he has complete authority over us and that we are submitted to him fully. That's another, that's one of those bad words in the culture, submission. We don't like the word submission. But if you love the Lord and you obey his commandments, and you say that he is Lord, then we should live with the fact that he, has, he is the Lord of our, over our lives. We should have faith in him, and we should trust in who he is, who he says he is, what he has done, and what he will do. When you think of fiction, right, and when you think of uh just things we like, movies and comics and stuff like that. A literal blatant example of Jesus is Superman. Everyone knows Superman. You know what I'm saying? 
Uh, I know most people are probably Marvel Comics fans here. It's okay. I'll pray for you. I'm a DC guy. And the thing with Superman, he was created by two Jewish brothers by the name of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, and they blatantly made Superman to be, be a savior figure. And look at the parallels between real living God versus fictional character. I'm going somewhere. <laughs> he was sent from a dying planet Krypton by his father, Jor-El. He crash-landed on Earth. He was a foreigner in this world, and he was adopted by parents who could not have a child of their own. He developed powers due to the radiation of the sun over time, which made him a super-enhanced being. And he used his powers to be a savior to many and a defender of this world. His real name is Cal El, which in Hebrew translates to the voice of God. And he represents the house of El, which is the house of God. So a true and living God is greater than a fictional savior whose voice created the world and whose voice will reset all things in the last day. And the common saying for Superman was what? Look in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's... But when we see him coming out the sky, we'll say it is Jesus. And we'll give him all the praise, all the honor, all the glory that is due him, for he is our Lord and our Savior. Now, I want to dig more into the scripture. Well, I, I haven't dug yet. I want to dig into the scripture that was read in Matthew 16, 13 to 17. That was ready, was read before I stepped up. There's a reason I chose this particular scripture because it actually helps in my presentation of Jesus as Son of God, as Lord, as Savior. When you look at first, when he's speaking of to, to his disciples, he is in an area called Caesarea Philippi. This area is significant because Caesarea Philippi was an area known for the idol worship. They were known also to worship, um, like you heard of Peter Pan, there was a God named Pan, literal, you know, quote unquote God. He was the God of earth. So they worshiped a earth God named Pan in this area. And there was other kinds of mythological pagan gods that they worshiped. So here is the son of God, true and living God, asking this question, who do the people say I am in this backdrop where they worshiped all these idols? He's once again coming in and taking supremacy and authority as God. And this question of who do the people say the son of, actually, hold on. Just, I'm sorry, I'm going to take a drink of water. Often when I preach, my throat gets very dry. I apologize. That's better. When you look in the King James Version, I like how it says it. It says, who do the people say the son of man am? It's a little bit different from the ESV or the NIV. I like the way it says this because it is a divinity statement. When you think of when Moses goes before God and he says, well, who do I go and tell the people who sent me? He says, tell them that I am that I am sent you. He's saying that he is everything that we need, that he is the almighty, that he is the ruler of all things when he says I am. So when Jesus asks a question, who do the people say the son of man am? He is already revealing his divinity to his disciples without revealing it. Because as we go further, they say, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say one of the other prophets. 
which wasn't the case. But here's the thing of these prophets, though, that people thought Jesus was. They each contained some kind of truth towards who Jesus is. John the Baptist was a herald who proclaimed that the promised Messiah was coming and that all people should repent of their sins. And he also baptized them with water, which symbolized new life in God. Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit, which we are baptized in. Then you have Elijah. Elijah was a man equated with miracles, and it was a powerful witness of God's power. He stood up against false prophets in his day and the wicked authorities during his lifetime. Jesus did the same. Then you had Jeremiah. He was the prophet known for speaking the words of God. It says in Jeremiah 29 that, and this is the famous line that the words of God were shut up like fire in his bones. This was when Jeremiah was trying to be quiet. It's like, it pains me to keep speaking that people don't listen, but I have to speak because it's that much of a burden on me. Was Jesus not the living God? Or the, the word of the living word, excuse me? You know, saying the logos, if you want to go to the Greek, <laughs> you know, it says this in the book of John. So with all this being true of Jesus. They, once again, God foreshadowed in his word who Jesus would be in the Old Testament to the new. We then get Jesus asking Peter the question directly, but who do you say I am, Peter? And Peter confesses that Jesus is none of these prophets, but the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, no human being has revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. And he acknowledges that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the Lord. How much more should we in this modern day in 2021, where we live in a culture, as I said, that bucks against submission, that people think they are their own lords, their own sovereigns. Um, how much more should we boldly proclaim that Jesus is Lord? How much more should we know intimately who he is based on his word, uh, being unashamed and being very bold and intentional with speaking of this God with whom we have a real living relationship with, who does love us and who's uh, pure and righteous and holy in his intentions towards us. And this is where I challenge you to respond to Jesus, the Son, Response number one is that we should respond to these truths in our personal lives. Is that we should repent and believe the gospel. We should live lives that honor him as the Lord of our lives and as the son of God. And to proclaim the message of the gospel along with testifying of the goodness of the Lord in our lives daily, whether it's private or public on a bus, on the train, doesn't matter where we are. We should proclaim boldly Jesus uh, with lives that honor him and represent him. Point two, we should respond to these truths in our relationship with God. Our relationship with Christ has to be lived daily. We must deny our sinful desires of the flesh and have a pure heart and a mind, pure mind before him. We must imitate the Lord by reading his word, knowing his ways, and knowing how we ought to live. We have to live lives of repentance because his goodness should lead us to repentance. Amen? Our very lives have to be that of worship. In other words, a devotion to the Lord so that we will be able to know what his good and perfect will is. As it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And a third response should be 
as the church as a whole, as the body of Christ. We have to be his witnesses to the world and how we love one another and then not shrinking back in the face of rejection or persecution, because those things will come in this kind of culture that we live in. We must be blameless, be united as he is our head and we are his body. Since the house can divide, it cannot stand. And the church shall stand no matter what, despite even the divisions in our culture. Let's let go of those things and cling to the word of God and who in Jesus, our personal Lord and Savior. Like I remember in my life, uh, there were times when I wasn't trying to heed the will of the Lord. Even this call, I tried to run from this call. I told Pastor Stephen this before, I tried to play a Jonah. But the Lord called me to ministry in 2004. I'm like, yeah, Lord, when I'm 55, 60 years old, then I'll preach. So then I move into Atlanta. I'm going to do music full time. That was my plan. Here I am now, 2021, full time ministry, right? You know, it's just, it's just important that we are submitted to Jesus as the Son of God because, once again, he's the sovereign Lord. He is this, he's the Son of God. He knows all things before we know them, and he is good. Don't run from him. Run towards him. For just as this, this creed says very plainly, once again, we should, this should be our, our heart that, we should say this personally, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. This shouldn't just be within the Apostles' Creed. This should be personal for us. We should know this in and out, through and through. We should believe it because it is the truth. Amen. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to have Pastor Stephen come up and lead us into communion. Communion.